0: The following program is brought to you by your friends at Podcast One.
1: This is No Excuses with John Taffer. I'm John Taffer, best selling author, bar rescue guru, and soon your new best friend. I've got a lot of shit for us to talk about, so stop making excuses and let's get started because this gets real right now. All the way from the studios at Podcast One, here's John Kaffer. So here we are, my first inaugural episode of my podcast, No Excuses on Podcast One. I've got to tell you, I'm pretty excited, but I never thought I would be doing my first podcast here in San Antonio, Texas. So here I am shooting my 169th episode of Bar Rescue, which is a story in itself. But what's interesting is two blocks away from me is the Alamo. I can see the corner of it out of my window. And sitting here looking at the Alamo, I can't help but reflect upon American history and all the things that happened at the Alamo. But for some reason, I have this reoccurring image of Pee Wee Herman in my mind every time I look over at the Alamo building. So my first podcast, and... For about three years or so, people have said, John, do a podcast. John, do a podcast. You know, and I really didn't feel that it was something that I wanted to do. And, and, and uh, I wasn't sure I had things that I wanted to say. And you know, the past six months, it's changed. And you know, I think there's a lot to say. And there's a lot to talk about. And, and I love interacting with my fans. And I've been having a lot of fun on my friends' podcasts. So here we are, my very first podcast. And, and uh, you know, a lot of you know me from Bar Rescue. And I'll tell you the Bar Rescue story, but I thought I'd tell you a little bit about me before Bar Rescue so, so that you know who I am, not only what I am. So you know, I grew up in New York and went to college like most of you and played music. And uh, when I was young, I went to Hollywood, California to play the drums. That was my dream. I'd taken drum lessons for about nine years. And while I was in California, I was in L.A., and I was playing all the clubs, and I was in all the bands, and I played with people like Steve Bartek from Lingo Boingo and a bunch of others. And one day, the owner of a nightclub threw a key ring at me, and suddenly, I was running a nightclub. And I wound up in nightclub operations, but yet I still played all the time. And I would play three, four times a week with different bands, and I would manage a nightclub, and the nightclub had three bands a night. And it got a little overwhelming hearing three bands a night and playing all day myself, so I went down a street to another bar called Barney's Beanery, a Hollywood legend. As a matter of fact, the nightclub, the Troubadour, and Barney's Beanery are both still there. And uh, worked in Barney's Beanery for quite a while, still playing my music and in Los Angeles. And one day, there was this little article written on me in some LA magazine about Barney's Beanery, and I got a phone call from a headhunter in New York City. And a headhunter said to me, John, I have a job for you for a steakhouse chain in Florida. I was young. I was playing music. I had no interest in, in really going to Florida. But they talked about a management position and food training and a name of the company, and those of you on the East Coast might remember this company, was Beefsteak Charlie's <laughs> with the all-you-can-eat shrimp salad bar and all the beer wine, or sangria you could drink with dinner. That was the deal in this restaurant. So I go to New York, I take this position. What I didn't know is they were going to put me in a kitchen for 26 weeks. And seven of those 26 weeks, I literally spent inside the walk-in with three sweatshirts and a shop coat on butchering meat. And in those 26 weeks for beefsteak charlies, I learned how to butcher meat. I learned how to prep all vegetables. I learned how to set up a salad bar with 57 items. I learned how to cook on a hot side, the cold side of a kitchen. After those 26 weeks in a kitchen and learning everything about food preparation, food handling, they moved me to the front of the house and they taught me every aspect of the front restaurant operations. And I stayed with them for about a year and it was one of the best educations I had. From there, I got a phone call from the same darn headhunter. that headhunter says to me, John, I got a position for you in Philadelphia. You're going to build the greatest nightclub in the world. I go to Philadelphia, and I meet with a gentleman by the name of Leon Altimos. And Leon Altimos changed my life. Ran Sheridan Valley Forge and was a very, very innovative developer in the Philadelphia area. And he offered me a position as vice president and general manager of Pulsations Nightclub just outside of Philadelphia in Glen Mills. And Pulsations had no budget. We built this nightclub. Ceilings were fifty feet high. Had the greatest lighting systems, sound systems. A light Lab did the lights, and a gentleman by the name of Richard Wong did the sound system, best in the world. Pulsations had a spaceship. And it flew into the room and deposited a $400,000 robot on the dance floor. Those of you interested can look it up on Facebook or Google Pulsations Nightclub. It was truly a fantastic nightclub. I remember this. I remember the first week we opened, we did $647,000 our first week. And those of you in the bar, or restaurant business know how huge a number that is. Pulsations open. When a club opens, somebody got hurt because a light fixture fell off a, ce- off a ceiling. And uh, uh, I was there for quite a while. And uh, after Pulsations, I get a phone call while I'm still at Pulsations from the same headhunter who's figuring, okay, I'm going to get a third fee from this guy, Taffer. And he offers me a job for a hotel company based in Chicago. I moved to Chicago. Suddenly, I'm general manager of a Holiday Inn hotel. Well, I have nightclub experience. I have restaurant experience, kitchen experience. I have mega nightclub experience, music management experience, events experience. So why not a hotel? So I get in the hotel business. Now I'm general manager of a Holiday Inn in DeKalb, Illinois was where that started. Then I moved to a bigger Holiday Inn by O'Hare. Then I became a vice president of that company. And in the mid-later 80s, I was a vice president of the hotel company with a pretty good understanding of food and beverage and operations and... I knew how to run it, and I knew how to manage it, and in 1989, I started my own company, and the name of that company was Taffer Management, and our purpose was to consult the hotel companies and other companies who wanted to do world-class food and beverage operations, and my very first client, when I left my hotel company and started my own company, was the hotel company that I left, and they fed me my first few pieces of business, and There was always a lesson in that for me that you never burn a bridge because all the people that I had worked for previously became clients of my new company. So I'm plugging away as a consultant. I own a bunch of bars now. Uh, 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 I'm involved in properties like Pulsations. Operated and owned the Hollywood Palace for quite a while. Had other nightclubs around the country. Was involved in Rainforest Cafe for a while and a bunch of others. And then one day I'm giving a speech at a nightclub and bar convention. And about 30 years ago, I and several other people created the nightclub and bar convention in Las Vegas. I was on a board for about 30 years, and I ran it as president for about eight or nine years. I'm at that convention, and somebody says to me, Taffer, you should be on TV. So I thought to myself, "Ah, Kitchen Nightmares was very popular. So I wrote up a three-page piece of paper called On the Rocks. And it was really sort of a bar Kitchen Nightmares type of a show. But I did it different. I took Kitchen Nightmares and I blended it with what I thought was Mission Impossible. And the show started with me with a bunch of files. And I'd pull out a mixologist who was a specialist and a chef who was a specialist. And I would pull specialists for each rescue, very much like Mission Impossible. And I took it to a friend of mine who ran Paramount and uh, Television. And he looked at it, he read it, and he said to me, John... You will never effing be on TV, buddy. You're too old. You're not good looking enough. It'll just never happen. You will never be on television. So, I mean, after driving through the Paramount gates, pretty exciting. Now I'm leaving the Paramount gates. I'm pretty deflated. And I thought to myself, you know, I'm just not going to accept. No, I'm going to do this on my own. So I produced my own sizzle reel. Put together at a friend's bar. Place was empty when I got there. It was packed when I left. Involved Nicole, the original camera on my wife was actually placed between her boobs. It was originally a booby cam, uh, uh, for lack of a better place to put it, because we didn't want cameras in a room, so we hit it. And we did our sizzle reel. I sent the sizzle reel to four production companies. Those four production companies, every one of them sent me an offer. We then negotiated through the offers. We signed with Three Ball Entertainment, which I thought was the best production company at the time. And we produced a pilot. And I was pretty excited after the pilot. Honestly, I didn't think it would go anywhere. So I'm waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting, and months go by, and they're focus grouping and they're testing, and they tell you next week they'll tell you. Next week This next week we'll tell you. Next week is next week, we'll tell you. And it goes on and on and on. And you can't plan your life. That's the lousy thing about television. If you book the next month or two with time, now they want to make TV. You can't do it because you booked your schedule. If you don't book your schedule and the TV doesn't happen, then you're really screwed because you have nothing to do. So I'm waiting and waiting and waiting, and I'm not doing anything. And finally, I get a phone call. And a phone call, I'll never forget, it was from Todd Nelson, who's the CEO of Three Bowl Entertainment. He says to me, John, I got bad news for you. I said, what? says we're going to have to do 10 episodes well we did we did the first 10 episodes of bar rescue starting the first one aired July 11th I believe it was July 11th uh, 2011 first season was 10 episodes but we never expected the show to be so successful the second season eh, six eight months later was 10 episodes The third season was 30 episodes. The fourth season was 40 episodes. The fifth season was about 42 or 44 episodes. Now I'm sitting here in San Antonio, Texas, shooting either, I've lost count, my 168th, 169th, 170th episode, and that excludes the 16 or so back to the bars that we did. So I'm close to hitting 200 episodes with Bar Rescue, and I really thought I would do a pilot and go home. That's... How I got here, guys. And so, so because of Bar Rescue, we've met. I've developed my fan base. Uh, I've been able to play an instrumental part in my industry. And now I got my podcast. And not only am I excited about the podcast, but I'm excited that through the podcast, you can contact me on social media. So... Always reach out to me at John Taffer on Twitter, Instagram, and John Taffer on Facebook. You can also email me at podcast at johntaffer.com. So, this is the way I talk to you. Come back and talk to me through my social media and my email. Again, John Taffer on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and podcast at johntaffer.com. And I want this podcast to mean something. In all of my bar rescues, Everybody always says to me, you know, I'm failing because of this, I'm failing because of that. Nobody's ever looked at me in 170 or so bar rescues and said to me, hey, Taffer, I'm failing because of me. It's always the location, the competition, the weather, the this. I had one bar in Michigan tell me that they weren't succeeding because of the Greece, the Euro in Greece, which is just absolutely absurd. So I learned, oh, 20, 30 episodes ago that I found a common denominator of failure. I really did. And the common denominator is excuses. You see, if we make an excuse about something, you know, it's Joe's fault, not mine. Oh, it was the weather. It was the rain. Ah, it was the temperature. Ah, it's construction on my street. Ah, it was Obama. Ah, it was Trump. Ah, it's Congress. Every time we blame something else for a shortcoming of our own, we never have a reason to change. But if you woke up tomorrow morning and you blamed yourself for a shortcoming, not someone else, you would change because you wouldn't like it because none of us want to be a failure. So what do we do? When we make a mistake, we create an excuse. And what is an excuse? An excuse is nothing more than a reconciliation of a mistake. Think about it. If you didn't make the mistake, you wouldn't need the excuse, would you? So stop making excuses. And that's what this show really about is think of all the excuses around us. And for example, president, love him or not, goes to the other side of the world to Korea to try to have a summit. Everybody's a naysayer. Joe Blow wants to invent a new kind of light bulb. Everybody's a naysayer. Sometimes the naysayers just need to shut up and let the yea-sayers try. That's an example of excuses. Because every time people give us an excuse not to move forward, some of us embrace it. I say we don't listen to the naysayers. I say we don't listen to the excuse givers. I say we don't allow excuses in our lives. So I want to bust them on this podcast. So every week we're going to talk for a little while. I going to tell you where I am, what I'm doing. Talk about some of the inside things going on in Bar Rescue and the other TV and media work that I'm doing. So a lot of you associate me with the term shut it down so much that I actually own the term shut it down. So we're going to have a shut it down segment on every podcast where I am going to shut something down. It could be somebody like a Lisa Lampanelli for the freak out that she did that was about the behavior of a six year old. It could be calling out a politician. It could be calling out you on the phone. But I am going to shut something down. It's an important part of our show. And sometimes we got to shut it down together because we can have a common voice. So we're going to shut it down. We're going to face excuses. We're going to tell some funny stories. We're going to have some great guests and we're going to do it every Tuesday. So make sure that you subscribe to my podcast. Make sure you listen every week. And don't forget to reach out to me at John Taffer, John Taffer on Facebook and podcast at johntaffer.com. The third part of my podcast is going to be great guest interviews. And this week, I got one of my favorite people with me to start us off. So when I'm talking alone, whether I'm talking with you or whether I'm talking with one of our celebrity interviews, this podcast is all about trying to leave you something. I want it to be Taffer to go. I want you to leave this podcast with something, something that makes you think, something that makes you change, something that makes you step forward, something that stops you from giving an excuse. I want it to be something That leaves you with an impact. So we're going to talk about Bar Rescue. We're going to have our guest interviews. We're going to have a listener interaction together. And this weekend, all starts with Father's Day for me. I'm guessing some of you are fathers out there. You know, my daughter, uh, Samantha, becomes 30 years old this October. Most of you have seen her on Bar Rescue. I believe she's done about 12 episodes. One of my greatest pleasures was putting my daughter on my TV show. Could you imagine doing that? How cool that is? So, she's done a number of episodes as my spy. Matter of fact, the famous chicken meltdown from Bar Rescue was all because I didn't want my daughter to eat the raw chicken. Had she not been in a room, maybe the meltdown wouldn't have happened. But I'd have been very close to my daughter. And when I was younger, when she was four, five, six, seven, eight years old, I used to have to go to Asia for four or five weeks at a time because I would be developing and, and concepting hotels uh, in Hong Kong and Asia and Thailand in those years. And it was difficult. She was five, six, seven years old. I was really far away, literally on the other side of the world. If you dug a hole straight down, you would have come up where I was. And every night I used to wake up at five in the morning, which was about four or five in the afternoon her time, and she would fax me her homework, Mrs. First, Second, Third Grade. And those days, all the fax papers were curly. So I'd had all these weights on my desk with fax papers weighted down all over the place. And I would do her homework with her every afternoon. And it was homework that she knew how to do, but it was a tool or a vehicle that I used to make certain that I spent a half hour on the phone with my little girl every day, no matter where I was in the world. And I learned something looking back on that. No matter where you are, no matter how hard you work, if you're in the military, if you're on a mission someplace in the world, if your job just causes you to travel, we can always keep in touch with our kids. Father's Day isn't only about children recognizing fathers. It's about fathers teaching fathers to be better fathers, too. No matter how many miles are between you and your daughter, you can always stay close. That's what I learned in my years of traveling through Asia when Samantha was young. Today, we talk all the time. We're best friends. As a matter of fact, we we spoke just before I got on this podcast. So to every father, I tell you, reach out. Do everything you can to stay closer. She's older now. I'm older now. Our relationship means as much today as it did when she was younger. Being a father is a gift. So happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there and to all the children out there. No matter what's happened in the past, pick up the phone and call your father and say happy Father's Day. When I was younger, for about seven years, I never spoke to my mother. We got in a huge fight. Then, of course, we started talking again and the fight ended. I don't even know what the hell we fought about. So most of these things are insignificant when we look back at them. So let them go. Have a great Father's Day, whether it's saying it to your father or as a father saying it to your kids. Get together. Make this a great family weekend. I'll talk to you next week because we have a great episode of Bar Rescue Sunday. Father Knows Best was uh, uh, not an untypical situation for me. You know, the family dynamic in a business can really work against that business. You know, when little Johnny doesn't feel well, everybody says, ah, give little Johnny a break. He doesn't feel well. Ah, little Johnny's not doing so well today. Ah, give little Johnny a break. You see, families defend each other in weakness. But if a family can become a team when they're inside a business, with a team, if you don't hit the ball, you get benched. It's the exact opposite of a family. Nobody's protecting your bad performance on a team. Your bad performance is only protected in a family environment. So whenever I get into a family situation like this, I have to change their mentality. Families have to be teams within the business. They can't support each other in weakness. They have to make each other stronger, better. They have to perform for each other. And that's really the story of this week's episode. This family was functioning like a family. They exploited that each other allowed them to be weak rather than forced each other to be strong. Had they done that, this would have been a business not a family that was in disarray. And that's not an unusual bar rescue. Also, next week, I think we need to talk about Lisa Lampanelli a little bit. Did you see that freak out video? I mean, it was unbelievable. I've never seen anything like that. I've had people throw things at me, and I haven't reacted quite that way. So I think we need to talk about that next week. So this episode was about me so I could get us going. Next week, let's talk about some other people. So when we come back... I'm gonna have my very first celebrity interview with Barstool Big Cat.
0: Don't shut down this podcast yet. No Excuses with John Taffer continues next. Wanna to talk to John? Email him now at podcast at johntaffer.com. Taffer's back. This
1: is No Excuses with John Taffer. So for my first guest on my very first podcast, I had to call the Big Cat. Because this is a show where I really need the big guns. So Dan Katz and I have been friends for how long, Dan? About six years? Yeah, it's been like five or six years, I'd say. I remember you before you were Big Cat. When I met you, you were actually sort of little cat, and it was yeah, in-
0: I've yeah, I've gained a little bit of weight in uh, in the past few years. I appreciate you bringing that up.
1: <laughs> so when you started Barstool Sports, how long ago was that?
0: So Dave Portnoy started Barstool Sports. I think it was about 2005. Uh, I always get that kind of fuzzy. I came on in 2012. So I've been with Barstool and Dave for s- over six years now, and uh, it's been a crazy ride. It used. It started just with Dave doing his thing in Boston, and then he's grown it cities. And he started. I started in Chicago. We had a guy in New York. We had a guy in Philly. We had a guy in DC. And then, you know, in
1: the last couple of years, we got purchased and now we're all in New York. And what's amazing is I've got to watch your growth from the beginning. When we first met, we did a burger cook-off with you and Dave at Barney's Beanery in Hollywood. Remember that? Six years ago.
0: Yeah. And the funny thing is when you look at where we're at now and the amount of guests that we have and people, you know, celebrities and, and people we have come through on our podcast, on radio, on video – it's become kind of second nature that we can get all these guests and i remember vividly because you were one of the first guys we did anything with and i walked away from that moment and i said people were like what was taffer like i was like what you see is what you get because that guy he just brings it and you and i think even you know just the judging our uh, the drinks we made and then when we did the blog rescue i think the best part about the blog rescue was We told you maybe two sentences. Like You're like, tell me exactly what you want me to do. And we gave you like a little background of, all right, our fans sometimes think that we're uh, lazy and we're not doing a good job. You're like, all right, got it. Good. Let's go. And that was it. That's all you needed.
1: It's it's so easy to beat the hell out of you, buddy, and and Dave as well. (laughs) And let's just tell everybody a little bit about Barstool Sports. How many hits does Barstool Sports get online each month about?
0: so i don't know about uh, i don't know the exact number i know it's obviously well in the millions and it's been growing over and over and you know the podcasts have been uh also in the millions now uh, in terms of our entire podcast network so we're reaching you know our, our twitter our instagram has a couple million followers our twitter has a million followers that's just our main account not not counting all the bloggers who you know half a million all these other numbers so It's it's crazy. And when we first linked up, I probably had 30,000 Twitter followers. So it was that long ago. And it was that, uh, you know, it it was that at the beginning of our kind of ascent into what we are today. And how many people we reach today.
1: So think about this story, Dan, and how it means to to people today are starting out with YouTube or as bloggers. We're trying to monetize and create a business online. You guys started with this website that started really about sports but became very much about pop culture. Because I remember beating you guys up about Bieber when you were doing Mm -hmm. Bieber. Why do you think Barstool Sports is so successful?
0: I think it really comes down to the fact that people feel like they know us and we're relatable and we don't really take ourselves too seriously. You see it a lot now, uh, whether it be in the news, whether it be in how sports are presented, the the you know, it's if you look at, uh, say, a sports center or something like that, where they have this huge entire this enormous set and these huge cameras and HD screens. And and you've forgotten that what it's really all about is the connection to the person on TV and the connection you're trying to make with the person who is who is presenting your interest. And so we are, for better or worse, sometimes it's sometimes it's not it's not on purpose. Sometimes it's uh, you know we call it the barstool difference around here, where we screw up, where we make mistakes, where we do low rent stuff, uh, and and that's that's it sometimes can get frustrating. But at the end of the day, we the way we produce content is. If we have a funny idea, we bring it out there. You
1: know what I think is incredible about you guys, how you took nothing and turned it into something that's so substantial and worth millions and millions of dollars now. It's really an incredible story. So I want to talk to you about something that I've never talked about publicly before. You've done recon on Bar Rescue for me now twice. Is that right? Yep, twice. And you've been on set. You've seen the show. You've seen the interaction with cast members. When I invited you to Bar Rescue to do Recon for the first time, I know you had no idea what to expect. What was that like? It was
0: a thrill, and it was um, – I think it was in Country Club Hills, Chicago, outside of Chicago, and it was uh, – I showed up, and I didn't realize just how, like, cool the whole experience was going to be, and it lived up to it in every every way, and also just seeing – so first one i was able to come back and to be able to see how how downtrodden that bar was and then what you had made it into in a couple days was incredible and i saw it with my own eyes i ate dinner the second time i came back and i actually trusted the food you know the first (laughs) time was was a big time gamble so seeing that evolution so fast was such a cool experience and uh like i said everyone ever everyone asked me it's like yeah Taffer like oh Taffer's acting. No, Taffer doesn't act. Taffer is Taffer. He is he is like he is like that all the time. He is, you know, if, if he's talking, if he's yelling, if he's trying to tell you something, you're glued in because he has that type of personality.
1: And it was real, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, exactly. And and we did the second one was uh with Chris Long in St. Louis and yep. I'll tell you what. The Jello shot that I had, the pudding shot, that was very real and it was very <laughs> disgusting. The brisket nachos, very real, very disgusting.
1: So, 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 be my buddy and tell everybody right now, straight out, is Bar Rescue scripted? No, I did not. Nothing that I saw
0: was scripted. I what? saw the real anger. I saw the real people work there. Like those are, the, I knew those were the real people that worked there. I saw the regular customers when I was in there. There was nothing that was scripted that
1: I saw at all. I get a clean bill of health from you, buddy. Bar Rescue is real as an endorsement from Big Cat at Barstool Sports, right? Yes,
0: absolutely. Always, always. You you know I always got your back, even though I think uh, you're crazy.
1: <laughs> I think you're the crazy one. So, Barstool Sports, what's next for you?
0: Um, I think really what's next is just finding new ways to make our fans laugh and find new fans out there because I think there are a ton of people out there that – Uh, would enjoy what we do if they knew more about us, and that's a goal every single day.
1: That's a good goal, buddy. So what's next for you personally? So you're not married yet. You're still a diehard sports fan. You're hooked to your TV, your radio, watching sports all the time. What are you personally missing? I mean, think about this, what you've achieved. You know, you, you've built this company. You've been a major part of it. You've built a great brand for yourself online and off. You now have two identities as Dan Katz and as Big Cat. So you've personally set yourself up with, with a, a direction that you could take that's very different from, I'm guessing, what you've ever planned on doing before. What do you want to do personally that you haven't done before?
0: Can I say money? Can I say actually cash in on some money? Sure. So you want to turn this into some cash? No, that's a good answer. No, uh, yeah, I think eventually I would like to fulfill, you know, some of the dreams in that respect, having financial independence. The way I look at it is I have, you know, a set amount of years, kind of like an athlete, where I can be in this content grind, in this world that kind of, you know, it's a lot. It takes a lot of pressure, but it's a lot of fun, a lot of fun. And I have only so many more years left in it, so that's really the focus, and it's kind of put your head down and do everything that's asked of me and, and try new things, You know, whether it be TV, whether it be uh, other radio, anything that comes across that I think would be fun that would help us grow, I'm in for. So that's really, if I'm being totally honest, that's really what I'm focused on.
1: So the fact of the matter is you're just in, Dan, aren't you, buddy? Yeah, you just very yeah. and that's why you're successful. So think about this. You start a blog, you start a website, you turn it into a radio show, you turn it into a very successful podcast and now a national brand. Think of all the young people that would love to follow in your footsteps that are trying to launch businesses like this online. Dan, let's make this a teachable moment. What is the one lesson that you've learned that, that you want to share with everybody who's looking at your career path and saying, boy, I'd like to be able to do that?
0: I would say the one thing, and I, I tell this to people when they ask me, it's uh, you got to be reliable and you have to be a dog when it comes to your work ethic. And I know that, that that sounds cliche, but what has happened with sports media in this world and with Twitter and how anyone could start a podcast, a blog, talent will rise. And you, you have, if, if you are committed to it. If you wake up every day and you say, I'm going to try to produce some some form of content for my audience, whether it be five people or, or 5,000 people or 500,000 people, you getting up and saying, I'm going to produce this every single day and people being able to start relying on you knowing that you're going to produce every day, that's what it's all about. And if you're talented and you're unique and you got a point of view that people want to hear, it will rise and someone will notice. Anyone can be out there and be successful as long as they put in a lot of work. It's not easy. you got to put in a ton of hours. You look at Dave. Dave put in hours and hours and years. Anyone else, Kevin, KFC, who's here, you know, K Marco, Videlberg, any of the guys, even PFT, who, who's had a whole, you know, years before he came to Barcelona, any of the guys who kind of you look at and they're like maybe the the OG crew, the guys who've been around for a long time, there were a lot of years that were put into it. There was a lot of writing, a lot of mastering of the craft to get to a point. So it's not going to happen overnight, but it can happen for sure if you want it enough.
1: So the fact of the matter is Dan Katz is not a lucky son of a bitch. He's a really hardworking guy who made this happen. Fair. Yeah,
0: luck. Listen, luck always. You always have to have a little luck. But uh, what, what's the old saying? And they're saying like, Hard work beats luck when luck runs out or something like That's that. Right. That's a good I might have made that up. I might have made it up.
1: But, you know, we share something in common. This didn't come easy for me either, buddy. You know, you think of all the hours on the road. fact of the matter is success is hard, and you've proven it. And now you're turning the corner of great wealth and more success than you've ever realized. So why, you being a Chicago boy, why does Chicago sports suck so much these days? Oh,
0: hold on now. The Bears are back. The Cubs are good. Cubs are in first place as we're taping this.
1: At the moment, uh, yes. The Let's talk Hawks, about the White Sox. The Blackhawks. Uh, the Blackhawks
0: Black yeah. <laughs> needed a summer off. The White Sox I don't care about. And the Bulls will probably never be good again.
1: So, so you're saying you don't care about the one that sucks. And the other one that sucks, you don't care about. It. So you're only talking about the couple that are good. So as an amazing Chicago sports fan, give me your forecasts. What happens with the Bears this year?
0: Bears are going to go, oh, man. I'm gonna say it. They're gonna go nine and seven, and they're gonna maybe sneak in. I don't. I can't. I can't predict how the the NFC playoff you know picture is gonna look, but they might be able to sneak in. I would say eight and eight, eight and eight. I'm gonna say eight and eight. I'm going to be realistic. I'm gonna give you the realistic answer. I think the Bears go eight and eight. I think this is gonna be a big year for them, and then the next year is gonna be the launch off year. That's gonna be when everyone says, "Watch out for the
1: Bears." So, um, so Blackhawks
0: the- are gonna be back, and the Cubs are gonna win the World
1: Series this year. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we get to make a little wager on that one. I lost the hockey bet, so what is our bet on a Cubs? So let's let's talk about it. If the Cubs make it to the World Series, they don't even have to win it. What's our bet, buddy?
0: Oof. I'll have to. Let me think about that. I, you know what we'll do? I'll come back on in a couple months and we'll set the stakes for the bet.
1: I want some serious stakes on this bet because I'm betting yes. big time against the Cubs, and you're going with them. And one of us is going down. You agree? Yes,
0: absolutely. And we'll do this little tease for the next time I'm on.
1: It's a deal, buddy. Listen, Dan, this has been a lot of fun, buddy. I appreciate you coming on as my first podcast. You and I have been through a lot together. So I'll be on your podcast soon. Let's get that wager set because this next wager needs to cost, buddy. One of us needs to hurt if we lose this one. You agree? I'm in. I'm in. Okay. So in a couple of weeks, you're coming back. We're going to set up this wager, and then we're going to hold each other to it.
0: Okay. I'm in. We'll do it. Thanks for having me on,
1: Taff. Love you. Love you too, buddy. Dan Katz. Big Cat, Barstool Sports. Good to have you, buddy. Talking to Dan always inspires me because I love people that are passionate about what they do. I remember when I started Bar Rescue, I went to a friend of mine who ran television for Paramount, and he said to me, John, you will never be on television. You're too old. You're not good-looking enough. Forget about it. When he told me that, I went out, I shot my own sizzle reel, presented the show myself, and turned it into a success, just like Dan did. He didn't listen to nose. He followed his passion. I wanted to do Bar Rescue. It was important to me, and that's why it's on TV. Dan wanted to be Big Cat. It was important to him, and that's why he's the success that he is. So I have to ask you, what's important to you? What are the things that you really want to accomplish? What are the things that motivate you, excite you, and inspire you? Because if you can find those things, you'll find your success. Work on what you're good at. Work on what your passion is. Don't work on what you're not. What I love about Dan is the fact is he's had no excuses for his shortcomings, and he has no excuses for his success. Dan's passion has made him successful, and I ask if your passion is going to make you successful. you got to follow that passion. You also got to follow me on social media: John Taffer on Facebook at John Taffer on Twitter, and John Taffer on Instagram. And make sure you subscribe to my podcast, No Excuses, on PodcastOne onecom Podcast One the app, and I'll see you on social media. Even more important, I'll see you here next week. Thanks for listening to No Excuses with John Taffer on Podcast
0: One. Download new episodes every Tuesday here on One.com, the Podcast One app, and at Apple Podcasts. Make sure to rate and review.